welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are in the middle of uh, the first journey that Paul and Barnabas are taking, and um, they've had a lot of success so far. They've also had a lot of resistance. We're going to see that ramp up a lot in Acts 14 is where we're going to be beginning. We hope that you're able to uh, take out your Bibles and read. Perhaps uh, some of you may be listening in the car or somewhere else. In, in which case, don't take out your Bible and, and read with us. But if you're sitting down uh, in a place where you can do that, you can pull out your phone or your Bible and, uh, and follow along in the text. So yeah, last week uh, in Acts chapter 13, a bit of a longer chapter, uh, we got to hear what might be a bit of a template for Paul whenever he goes into the synagogues. We got to hear the lesson that he often did um, whenever he would go in and talk to a group of Jews. And so just kind of have that lesson in the back of your head as we think about Paul going into these other synagogues in the cities uh, in chapter 14. Mm -hmm. So we can go ahead and get started in Acts chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it, and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. All right. So uh, they've just left Antioch, and again, this is the Antioch in Pisidia. Again, easy to get these Antiochs confused. They left Antioch in Syria initially. That's really kind of their home base church. And they've gone through Cyprus and now up onto the mainland and modern-day Turkey. And um, they were kind of driven out. Um, there was a persecution that arose in Antioch, and they have... Uh, fled to Iconium. And it's noteworthy that this is kind of what Jesus said was going to happen, right? Uh, whenever he was warning his apostles and his disciples of what would happen. And and uh, I'm thinking back to like Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus is telling mm-hmm. them, look, you're going to be persecuted for my name. You're going to go through all these things. But when one city kicks you out, go to the next. <laughs> Just right. keep on moving and preaching and teaching. And so as we read through these stories of Paul's preaching trips, you can keep that in mind that this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen to his followers and his disciples that, that are out teaching and preaching. Yeah, that's right. And, and he told them, you know, if anybody doesn't receive you, you know, shake the dust of your feet off. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah. Uh, back in Acts 13, verse 51, they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And uh, it's just kind of amazing here that like they, they stay in a city basically long enough to get kicked out. <laughs> they stay as long as they can, but the gospel has a polarizing effect in these places. It um, will either uh, draw people in and c- convert them, uh, or it will stir them up and they will react sometimes violently 
uh, against the gospel message. Um, there's not a whole lot of in between. I'm sure there are some people who are more apathetic, but um, it's powerful to see the reaction that the gospel gets. So they speak in such a way, uh, in Iconium here, that a, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. And again, they're going first to the synagogues, typically, but they're also going to the Greeks. Um, they're, they're spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's so much of what Paul is doing on these trips, is the gospel has become an international movement, a multi-ethnic movement, and they're reaching out to everyone with the gospel. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. And now, my, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Um, verse 2, it says they poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's a pretty vivid way to say that. If you're trying to get someone to not believe a message, one of the best ways to do it is to poison someone's mind against the speaker. And man, you see this tactic all the time today. I mean, and, I mean, of course, as we're recording this, we're in a political season. You don't have to look very far <laughs> to see, you know, smear campaigns going on and all of that. But it happens on a on a much more day to day level as well. Is if you want to subvert someone's teaching, is you you start talking bad about them. You start poisoning people's minds, change the way they view someone. And um, that really has a profound effect. And it's so sad to see how the poisoning of minds here turns people's hearts away from the gospel. And so we have to be on guard against that. We have to be on guard against having our own minds poisoned. Um, And we have to be careful not to poison other people's minds. Uh, Anger and bitterness are often some of the things that most keep people from Jesus. Mm -hmm. Certainly false teaching and people being deceived is a big thing. But honestly, I think in my own experience, I've seen a lot more people have their minds get poisoned Mm -hmm. and that be the thing that keeps them from the gospel. And that's what the unbelieving Jews do, those kind of tactics. They poison their minds against the brothers in Iconium. So as you can imagine, there is some much needed encouragement that this church needs to receive. Um, and that's why I like the way the New American Standard words it in verse 3. They spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. For all the discouragement that this local group of Christians is going through, God is providing some encouragement at the same time to help them be able to work through these different things that they're faced with in their culture. And God does the same for us. He gives us multiple things we we can look to despite our circumstances to be encouraged and to be built up. Um, And so I'm I'm so thankful that we have this example here. Sometimes we just need to look up and see the good Mm -hmm. um, rather than focusing on the bad. Right. You can read the Insert the book of Philippians right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, meditate on these things, things that are good and noble and true. So they, they stay there for a while. Again, the way that Luke is writing the book of Acts, uh, he'll sometimes skip over large periods of time without really indicating it. So we don't know how long. It could have been quite a while. But um, they stay until there's an attempt made on their life. Mm-hmm. And it's both the Gentiles and the Jews who are stirred up against them and their rulers, and they're planning to stone them, uh, you know, to throw stones at them until they die. This is a terrible way of execution. But they learn about it, and I appreciate this. There's a time to stand, and there's a time to run. 
and they don't just stay until they kill him. They say, okay, like things have been tough, but now it's time to get out of t- out of town. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to when they hear about it, they flee to Lystra and Derby, uh, these next two cities, um, and to the surrounding country. So uh, there, again, there's other places that. Uh, they may have stayed in the meantime, but they're going to, again, focus on these cities, Lystra and Derby, And they, again, verse 7, there they continued to preach the gospel. We've seen the apostles threatened. We've seen the apostles beaten. We've seen Stephen killed, James killed. And they just keep preaching the gospel. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what threats are leveled against them, they will not stop telling people about Jesus. Well, and what's interesting about all this too, we, we've picked up on this throughout the book of Acts, is the gospel spreads like wildfire despite all this. Um, and what what a lot of these people don't realize is that in their persecuting the Christians and these different teachers, it's really like putting gasoline on the fire. Uh, what it actually does is it creates a stir around Christianity and people are asking, well, what what is this teaching that's causing our our leaders to persecute people like this what what is this and what it actually does is it gets the teaching even further more out there um and it just goes to show that the lord he can work through all kinds of circumstances and situations including persecutions that's right and i mean again we're sending this podcast out from america i mean i I don't know you know what the future may hold for us christians in the 21st century uh obviously there are plenty of places around the world where christians are brutally persecuted um, and it may be that we face more persecution here than we have in the past. We've been incredibly blessed for a really long time uh, to have things really easy. But we don't need to fear about the spread of the gospel. As long as we're willing to open our mouth, like the gospel is going to continue to spread no matter what the circumstances are. We can take great heart from that. Let's read this next section here. Um, we're picking up in Acts 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra... There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Man, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium... Uh, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, 
He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Lot, lot going on in this section. Talk about a, a, a sudden turnaround. Yeah. A whiplash. So let's just kind of start back at the beginning. Uh, a miracle that we've actually kind of seen already in a couple other places. My mind goes back to Acts chapter 3 with the guy who couldn't walk there that Peter and John heal, but they obviously accredit to Jesus and his ability to heal. And then, of course, Jesus Christ himself. When we were in season 1 in Mark chapter 2, he also heals a man who wasn't able to walk whenever he was lowered down in the roof. So a miracle we've seen clearly from God on a couple different occasions uh, and still impressive here, still really cool to see. Um, And so this man, you know, he's listening to Paul speaking. He fixes his gaze on him. Paul says, stand upright on your feet. And he leaps up and begins to walk around. So naturally what we've seen after a miracle like this is people attributing this to God and recognizing that this is something from from the Lord. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly been around Jews up to this point, and so they're attributing it to the God of heaven, Yahweh. Right. And uh, the Gentiles do the equivalent thing, but it's not good or right. <laughs> yeah, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And furthermore than that, they don't just leave it vague, do they? Yeah. Uh, in verse 12, they start calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul... Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Yeah, and your Bible might say uh, Jupiter instead of Zeus and Mercury instead of Hermes. Because, of course, I mean, you go back to like the Greek and the Roman names of the gods. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, Barnabas gets to be like the chief of the gods, but Mercury was like the messenger right. uh, of the gods. And so they call Paul that because he's the chief speaker. So they figure, oh, like maybe Barnabas is like the king of the gods and Paul is his messenger. So, again, it's almost comical to us. But this was serious. Um, I mean, the priest of Zeus, they've been worshiping Zeus for a long time. And now they're like, oh, like, now he's come to visit us in human form. We got a guy. We got a priest for Zeus. Come on out here. (laughs) Yeah. And so they're getting ready the animals for the sacrifices and garlands, and, you know, they're getting ready to, like, throw a feast because, like, hey, the gods have come down, and let's throw a party for them. And uh, in verse 14, Barnabas and Paul hear about it, and they are just distraught. You know, they tear their clothes, which that was an ancient sign of just being really upset because, like, you didn't have, like, a closet full of clothes. Right. So if you tore your clothes, that was, like, a way of causing permanent damage to something that was very valuable. Um, and so this was a... They're, they're trying to show just how bad this is by tearing their clothes, telling them, no, no, we're just people yeah. like you are. Yeah, and I mean, we, we saw back in chapter 12, of course, when Herod was taking praise from people and them calling him a god and he doesn't turn it down and he takes the glory for himself, God strikes him or the angel of the Lord strikes him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm not at all saying that that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are are afraid of because they're not attributing themselves to being God. But they are wanting these people to realize who Yahweh is, who God is. And Peter, uh, when when Cornelius fell down and started worshiping him, you know, no, stand up. I too am a man. And again, they use this opportunity. This is not like a long sermon exactly, but this is going to be a pretty different approach than they've been taking. They don't like quote a bunch of Old Testament scriptures here, but they're going to appeal to things that the Gentiles 
would have been familiar with. And they're going to say, listen, you need to turn from these vain things to a living God. You know, stop serving lifeless idols and turn to the living God who made everything. It, it's not that there's one God of the sun or like a chief God and then there's like one messenger God or God of you know different things. There's one God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. I mean, that was a kind of revolutionary thought for people who are worshiping the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods that, nope, get rid of all these gods with different jobs and there's one God who does it all. Yeah, I think it's cool too that the end of verse 15, uh, the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, at least my Bible has a cross reference there to Psalm 146 verse 6. Um, which, of course, is a psalm attributing the creation to the Lord. And so Paul still finds a way to insert a little bit of scripture in there at the very least. But it is cool that this is really kind of our first lesson to the Gentiles. We'll have another one a little bit later on that we'll, we'll dive into when Paul is on uh, on Mars Hill. Uh, but Paul is obviously trying to explain to them, like Stephen said, that there is one creator, one God. Verse 16, in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go to their own ways and yet he did not leave himself without witness. He gave you all rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know, you all are without excuse. You knew that there was this God is kind of the point, which is a similar point Paul will make over in Romans 1. Yeah, that's right. And in Romans 1, that's where my mind was going as well, is he's explaining, listen, you can't look at nature and say, oh, there's a God who wants me to, you know, repent of these specific sins and wants me to, you know, worship him in this specific way and wants me to be baptized and all these things. But you can look at nature as a Gentile and say, there is something out there that is powerful and is divine. And I need to seek that, whatever that is. And so God left himself with witness. And I think it's interesting here. He talks about just like the goodness of rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and the earth that bears fruit and again people ended up worshiping the earth basically and making up these gods and they knew there was something powerful but now they are being corrected and say like no like you can't just make this up there is a true god and you need to worship him you need to serve him um and again they have a hard time paul and barnabas restraining the people from offering sacrifices to them. They, they are barely able to stop them. Because uh, they're, again, this is what they're used to. They're used to their their pagan worship, and they are uh, really keen to <laughs> to worship these men. And so it's just interesting here to see uh, how, uh, how set in their ways uh, these Gentiles are and how they're trying to, to turn them away from all that. Well, then the, the Jews show up on the scene that were from Antioch and Iconium, and they win over the crowds. And I think it can be really easy to just overread details like this, but it says they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. It's really all it says about it. But I hope everyone can take a second to slow down and thinking, think about what a stoning was. Uh, we saw it back in, in Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7 with the stoning of Stephen. But this was a horrible way to die and a horrible way to be persecuted. Just think about being defenseless, sitting there in a crowd of people, 
and rocks being thrown at your head, being thrown at your body, just being defenseless, utterly defenseless against these things. Like this is a horrible way to be persecuted. Um, so I don't want us to just over overread that. Um, this was awful. And yet Paul endured it. Um, and it tells us that it was so bad that they supposed him to be dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the goal of stoning. Right. And, and they've, I'm sure, stoned people before. And um, it's amazing that Paul is still alive. I've heard some people speculate that Paul did actually die and God raises him from the dead. It, it seems like the text says they supposed he was well, dead, but it, he wasn't completely dead. I mean, just think about the brain damage that could come from something like this as well. I mean, this, this is a horrible way <laughs> to, to be persecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by Paul's ability and his, his courage to just get right up yeah. and to go right into the next city and it's keep preaching. It's incredible to think that, you know, after actually, like, they tried to execute him and didn't quite succeed, apparently. And he just keeps going. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, bleeding and I don't know what kind of scars he would have had for the rest of his life from this experience. But he cares so much about the Lord and about the cause of the Lord that he's willing to just press on. And it's amazing also to me to see just the the viciousness of the enemies here. These weren't local Jews. Uh, They were from Antioch and Iconium, the last two cities. Remember, we're in Lystra right now. And just like Paul persecuted Christians from city to city, now he's being pursued from city to city. And, uh, you know, they tried to stone him at Iconium, and now they do stone him at Lystra. But like you said, it's just amazing to see him uh, as the disciples gather around him again. They probably thought he was dead, but he gets up and he just goes on with Barnabas to Derby and just keeps going on. And, and listen, I, I think it's it's noteworthy uh, in Second Timothy 3, quite possibly the last letter we have from Paul uh, that he wrote. He'll say to, to Timothy um, in verse 10, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Mm. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul realizes that it's the Lord that helps him continue pressing on and to continue going and preaching and teaching. So this, if this is, in fact, the same instance that he had in mind, it left an impact on him because he writes about it years later, uh, maybe at the end of his life. But he says it's the Lord who delivered him. And that's what we need to see out of this story. Amen. Great point. And if we're ever persecuted, uh, the Lord can deliver us out of that, much like he did Paul. Let's have the same attitude. That is right. Amen. Before we leave this section, I do want to just note something that's kind of interesting. Um, Backing up to verse 14, uh, in the midst of this discussion, again, it's just funny to me how Luke, like, throws details in there, like, back in chapter 13. It's like, oh, by the way, his name is Paul also. (laughs) I'm going to call him Paul now. Um, but he calls Paul and Barnabas apostles in verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, and uh, of course Paul will be called an apostle through a lot of the rest of the New Testament in his letters, but this is the only reference we have to Barnabas potentially being an apostle, which of course the word apostle just means one who's sent out. And uh, it may be there's a sense in which Barnabas became an apostle when the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Paul and sent them out, you know, from Antioch mm-hmm. in Syria and said, I, I've got work for them. Uh, so it is just interesting here that 
Barnabas and Paul are called apostles in Acts 14, 14. And that's, it's easy to read over that, um, but that's just kind of a cool detail here. So let's go ahead and read this last section, verses 21 through 28. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So there's just this kind of the rewind. So this first journey that they've taken has taken them down through Cyprus and then through the mainland, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. We know almost nothing about the work in Derby. Um, that's where he goes after he's stoned. Um, they go the next day to Derby, and it just says they preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples. And that's all we need to know is that right after an attempted execution, he continues preaching, and the Lord continues giving increase. I can't imagine what those sermons must have been like to have a guy stand up in front of you who has all kinds of scars and maybe is still you know, recovering from open wounds. And I appreciate what he says as the, we get the summary of the, the return trip. Um, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel of that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. He goes back through the cities where they've been trying to kill him. Now, I don't know if he's like kind of underground, you know, like having to hide in these places. I don't know. But look at what he says in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You talk about an object lesson when the preacher standing in front of you has just been left for dead. And then he gets up and he's preaching and strengthening you in the faith and saying, listen, we got to suffer. It's through many sufferings that we're going to enter the kingdom. That, that had to be some power. Those were some powerful yeah. lessons to listen to. I, I don't know what else you say to that other than, yes, sir. Um, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I, you don't argue. Um, this is a guy who's been through it. And you, you respect that. And so you listen. Yeah. And this is the same Paul who is speaking by the Spirit to us today through his letters. And when we read about his life and the things he was willing to suffer, it can continue to strengthen us. I mean, we can't sit at his feet and see him in person, but I think that's one reason that the Lord recorded this for us is so that we would have a record and be able to, one layer removed, but really be able to imagine and see him speaking to us as well and telling us to be strong in the faith and to enter the kingdom of God, even through suffering. Absolutely. So, uh, in verse 23, um, it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, again, that, that's a very Luke way to put it, um, that they appoint elders in these local churches. Uh, but I believe the last time we would have seen elders was at the end of chapter 11, mm -hmm. whenever 
uh, whenever the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and Agabus told about the famine that was going to occur across the land of Judea. So they take up that contribution and verse 30 of Acts 11 says they took up the contribution and sent it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Um, yeah, and, in Jerusalem. Yeah, and so at the end of chapter 12, we see Barnabas and Saul finishing that work. In chapter 13, they get sent out from Antioch to, mm-hmm. by the Spirit. Um, and so, Stephen, what, what, do we, what do you think about that word elder? Yeah, I mean, it, it literally is a word for someone who's older, uh, who is elder. Um, but we have a lot more detail about elders and different titles for them. We're going to see that some more in the book of Acts. Um, but we'll see more details about it in First Timothy and Titus, where he gives a list of qualities that these men are supposed to have, and that each church is to have its own local leadership. I just think that's a real important note that we do learn from this verse. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And so it's not this hierarchy. It's not this, uh, you know one elder over several congregations or things like that. It's like every church has its own set of leadership, its own elders in that congregation who have to meet a certain threshold of moral living. I mean, just like all Christians are supposed to do, but there's particular qualifications put on these men. And that Paul is able to do this relatively quickly. Again, Mm -hmm. I don't know how long he spent recovering at Derby. I don't know. Um, but uh, he's going back through these churches, these relatively new disciples. And some of this may be because many of them were Jews. And so they already knew a lot about the Lord and following the Lord. And they just needed to be taught about Jesus. And that they were able to progress and mature very quickly to where, okay, yeah, we got men here who are ready to serve as elders of these local churches. Um, but regardless of how it happened, that's what he does. He realizes these churches need to be established and we're going to see this pattern as he goes throughout the churches, um, that it's very important for a church, as soon as it can, to have qualified local spiritual leadership. And as you can imagine, that's a serious role. Uh, we're talking about shepherding God's people. And so for that reason, the detail is given to us that they had prayed with fasting in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, fasting isn't anything I think we've talked specifically about in these podcasts um, but it, it is always attributed and thrown alongside prayer pretty exclusively through Scripture. And it's always for a spiritual purpose or a spiritual mission in mind. Um, I think we saw it back in chapter 13 mm-hmm. whenever the church yeah. in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas out to begin with. Yeah, verse 3, they, they prayed and fasted when they sent them out. So the work of elders is a serious thing. Um, and like, like Stephen said, you can go to First Timothy and Titus to, to look at some more details on what those guys are doing. And we'll see some more of what these guys are doing in Acts 20 uh, with, the, with the elders at Ephesus. Yeah. So this is just really cool to think about this first journey. God has just blessed this journey. They've been able to go out. They've been able to go to several cities, um, including some main cities, and establish churches in these different places. And now these churches have leadership. You know, Paul isn't just kind of, oh, you know, have fun. Yeah, you're on your own. <laughs> going back. He, he's, he's equipping them with what they need. And the Lord is blessing them. Um, and he's encouraged them with some powerful personal teaching from his own suffering. And so, again, Luke just very quickly records is their return journey through Pisidia, Pamphylia. Um, they don't go back to Cyprus, apparently. They just sail on back to Antioch. 
and where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. I think that's beautiful. They had set out to do the work of the Lord that he had called them to, and they had done it, despite all the opposition and the challenges they faced. Uh, and so they gather the church together, verse 27, and they declare what God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This is all about God. I mean, we marvel at the courage of Paul and the courage of Barnabas and all that they're suffering, but they still give the glory to God. It's like God is the one doing this. He's the one who sent them out. He's the one working through the signs and wonders. He's the one working through the message, and he's the one who gets the glory. And the church is encouraged by that. I love the church Antioch here, how again, like, I don't know how much of an update they would have been getting, you know, as they're going from place to place. They just have to get like, all right, let's tell the story of these last few months, years, you know, that uh, that they've been traveling and preaching and yeah. uh, how encouraging that would have been to the church in Antioch to hear about that. Yeah, let, let me let me tell you about my bro- your new brother or sister over here in, in, in Iconium. You know, let me tell you about this new brother or sister over here in Lystra. Let, let me just tell you about the work that we've been blessed to do. So this would have been a very encouraging thing to hear. Um, so I think it's so cool that Paul circles back around and shares this with, with the church in Antioch along with Barnabas. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see this later in Acts 15, verse 36. It's going to be a good bit later that Paul will say to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Um, so he's not forgetting about these brethren. They are praying for them. Uh, Paul will constantly mention that in his letters when he's not able to be with brethren. Says, I'm always praying for you. And so uh, these are uh, churches that uh, they're going to continue to want to strengthen and help. And um, Paul will continue to, to, to do everything he can for them. It's really powerful to think about this. Yeah, so Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up in Acts 15. And as often as we feel some of the whiplash in the book of Acts, some really good things will happen and then some potentially discouraging things can happen. So in Acts 15, we'll see the church in Antioch have a little bit of a, of a rift, I guess, um, with, with some things that some people from Judea come up and tell them. And uh, we'll see Paul and the church in Antioch handle that in a really cool way. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, uh, we thank you for listening. And uh, we'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review. That helps us reach more people. If you're interested in Bible studies, we would love to talk with you more. Uh, 717-585-0949, Christians at Gmail. Or for more info, uh, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.